We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hi, this is Julie Bowen. I'm Chad Sanders. This week, we got to talk to mega-huge, world-famous pop star Megan Trainer, whom everyone seems to know, and her brother Ryan Trainer, who people know less well. And Ryan was a revelation. He told us about his journey with addiction, which is fresh. Yeah. His quit is really fresh. So if you want to know what it's like for someone who's really just beginning their sobriety, this is what he's going through. And also hearing about how they're really intertwined as a family. They all live together and how integral their relationship to one another is in both of their quits. His is very clear cut about drugs and addiction. And then hers is a lot more complicated and ongoing, but they absolutely play a part in each other's quits and how they are moving forward in a really loving, supportive, beautiful way. Yeah, I like how they talk to each other. I wouldn't say how they talk to each other reminds me of me and my sister, but it just reminded me that I have a sister who I talk to all the time, and it was really sweet to watch them interact. We did sort of focus on Ryan first out the gate, and I thought it was interesting to watch Megan engage with that. I can tell from our conversation with them that Megan, I mean, we all know Megan is the star of the family, but she's also the only girl. She's the middle child. I think that what I learned from Ryan was it's been hard to manage being Megan Trainer's brother. Yeah, that was really interesting to be able to have that kind of raw conversation in real time. Often you hear about that in someone's biography later, and they're living it and adjusting to that reality every day and making changes to their lives and outlooks that I was really excited to hear about. I really liked Ryan. He came up against it. I'm so glad I asked him about What app when he was 12? Yeah, I was too. It's not that bad is exactly what got him into that shower crying and then going, fuck it, I'm going to drop the mask and no one's ever going to see this. But it reminded me so much of you. Yeah, it's me. It's a lot like me. That shifting, that mask, that vulnerability, and also, uh uh-uh. You do not get to get to me. I decide who gets to me and how. I felt connected to him. I see this dude. This is the frat boy. Everything tough. Everything your dad wants him to be. And just feels so relatable. And he kind of goes back and forth between the dude on Euphoria and someone who's very sweet and evolved. Yeah. I guess is how I would describe it. Yeah. So with no further ado, here's the interview. Thank you guys so much for coming and talking about quitting. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Ryan, you are soups open about all the quits. Yeah, because I've never been honest with myself. And now I feel much better as a person and in life. I was just like full of shit, just partied all the time. And we turned that around. I'm getting older. I'm almost 30. I got to get it together. Oh my God, getting older, almost 30. I could be your mother. We know what you quit, but we want to find out more about Megan's quitting too. 
because you did the whole, you went out on the cover of People Magazine, you talked about having anxiety, you talked about having stage fright. Am I saying that right? Oh, for sure. I had it all. I didn't grow up in training of, here, you're going to be a pop star. I was thrown out there and was like, okay. So <laughs> what did you think you were going to be? Well, I just was so insecure and I was told by so many people, like, you're a great songwriter. Okay, cool. So they don't see me singing my songs. They just see me in the background. Got it. And then I wrote all about that bass and no one could cut that song. It didn't fit anyone because it was so personal. And a dude named L.A. Reed was like, why don't you put it out? Me? Okay. Would love to. And then I just held on tight. The same L.A. Reed who was made famous in the Pink song for telling her to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Told you not yeah. to change and to put it that out. That is exactly. not what made L.A. Reed famous. Well, okay. <laughs> to those of us that only know L.A. Reed from the radio, go on, Chad. Why don't you tell us we'll why L.A. Reed's actually famous? <laughs> he's an iconic <laughs> music executive. I also know him from the Pink song, but I don't know. He's a big deal. Yeah, he's found a lot of amazing artists. And yeah, his list is crazy. Has anything changed for you, Megan, after you talked publicly about having that anxiety? Did it help? I saw Carson Daly on the Today Show talk about what a panic attack feels like. And my parents, it was like different generation. They didn't understand when I was like, hey, I have to go to the emergency room because I can't breathe. They were like, silly goose, come over. I'll rub your head. And I was like, no, I need an oxygen (laughs) tank. So having the link that I could send to my mom, this full grown man is feeling what I'm feeling and telling the world about it. And she goes, oh, my God, that's what clicked for them. And Ryan was having panic attacks and I didn't even know. I wasn't educated. I thought I was just losing my mind. And he was like, oh, dude, go to the emergency room. They'll hook it up. You'll be fine. You'll come home. We'll all be here waiting for you. And having the coolest guy in my life, my older bro, be like, this is normal. You got this. I'm not crazy. I'm okay. I'm just like everybody. So that's why I talk about it so much. Ryan, what made you think it was normal? It is an extreme behavior to have the sensation that you're going to die when nothing is going on. I guess it was normal for me. I grew up with panic attacks. I just didn't know at the time. I had childhood trauma I didn't know at the time. Got into drinking to fix those panic attacks. And then later on, they were mainly like drug-induced. The calm down, right? Where I'm like, I think I'm going to die. Would wait it out. And then one time I went to the emergency room. I was like, this is it. This is the end. And the doctor was like, this is just a panic attack. Your heart's fine. Everything's fine. Stop what you're doing, you know, in terms of drugs and alcohol, but you're going to be okay. And then they offered me Xanax and I said, no, thank you. That's the stuff that I love too much. Is there anything tamer? Smart boy. It's just good to get reassurance from a medical professional. So I guess it's definitely not normal, but I was like, our family's crazy. It's normal for us. You got this. (laughs) He just had it so many times. And then he would start saying when he would have anxiety, he'd go, oh, the scaries because I'm just hungover from the partying. And now I'm like, all those scaries were definitely panic attacks. I'm always looking back like, oh, I should have said, you're okay. I'm here for you. Ryan, you said you started drinking as a teenager to fight the panic attacks. What did that look like? Can you explain that? Well, just would fight overall anxiety. We moved to a new high school. I didn't know how to make friends. They thought I was a cop. I'm pretty tall and I, maybe I look like a cop. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you go through puberty at 12 and you were a full man? He was tall. No, just like height wise. I was a late bloomer. Uh-huh. And so when I moved to the new high school, I'm just like, all right, where's the party at? I'm trying to make friends. They're like, this kid's a fucking cop. <laughs> <laughs> 21 jump street <laughs> yeah 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 exactly and so just really dove in to look how much i could drink it's cape cod massachusetts yeah it's like what we do everyone's a booze bag yeah but he was like a hero oh ryan can out drink anyone and then that was his personality almost mm. 
When you talk about quitting, we try to get the form of before, during, and after. But before was anxious, was panic attacks. And so the during at the beginning was, this works. Right. They accept me. This is cool. How did that fly at home? We all looked at him as like, oh, it's just high school. Right. It's just the high school parties. That was just what it was because all the teachers loved him too. He was the biggest personality in school, after school, at parties. They just loved him. So that was the whole problem of this 28 years of, oh, that's just fun Ryan. Mm -hmm. Right. When I brought him on tour, he was my camera guy. Ryan's going to party all night and just be hung over. He's such a fun guy because he was so good at it. I used to say he's a professional drinker because nothing crazy bad happened to him except a few times. And that's when he started waking up and going, maybe I don't have a handle on this. And we were like, well, yeah, you're an alcoholic. And then it got really spooky when drugs started coming in. We've had a few of these conversations on this show, and we also have our own shit that we're bringing. And one thing we want to do is talk to people about the ride up. The validation cycle that beyond just the fact that it feels good, this is also something I can create an identity around. This is something that makes girls interested in me. All that shit, you've partied pretty good. Yeah, I've I've partied enough for multiple lifetimes. He's also partied for like a superstar. I was peak (laughs) famous and I was too exhausted because I was working so hard and I was like, my bro will go for me. And people were like, yeah, Trainer's bro is here. I want to go in that world a little bit if we can, you know, before <laughs> okay. we get to the part of it that sucks. Yeah, like, oh. it was great early on being 21, get to meet, you know, John Terzian, head of H. Wood. And he just goes, anything you need, I got you. I'm at Delilah, Drake's behind the bar. I get to skip the line, shaking hands. I made friends with all the door guys. I was in that cycle of young Hollywood It is the world that people imagine, that people aspire to and dream about in Hollywood. When you're in that environment, what does it feel like to walk around and have every door open for you and every drink placed in your hand and every answer be yes? It's great. But at the same time, I'm just Ryan. I'm not a professional athlete. I'm not an actor. I'm just Megan's brother. I'm the middle child of two bros. And my whole life, I've just wanted to be their best friend. Like played football so I could have an excuse to hang out with them more. And I played baseball instead of softball. And they were like, get the fuck away from me. But when I became famous and I was like, bro, come to this party with me. Let's go to all these football games for free. I was the coolest sister. I made it. That's what I live for. And so that was really fun for us. And then I started getting really tired. I was working so hard. And I'll just be like, go for me. And people who knew me knew my bros. Right. You met us all, Julie. We're all together. Yeah, they're all together Mm. all the time. Your family is so central to your life. Yeah. And I love that. But I'm hearing Ryan say is that it didn't feel that good, though, to not have his own thing. Yeah. Right. That's our whole life, too. My mom is like, Ryan, this is your year where you're going to find your passion. And same with Justin. But always, we love you so much. Like, whatever you want to do. But yeah, I mean, you talk, Ryan. I don't know. Well, it's just amazing to be in those environments. But at the same time, you're like, well, fuck, I'm no one. This kind of feeling of being less than. You're wildly accepted. The doors are swinging open. Like Chad said, every drink is being put in front of you. But when you're waking up in the morning, it doesn't feel great. Or you tell me how it feels. Like you still feel like there's something missing. I would spend money like I was Megan Trainer, and I'm not. <laughs> The debt is rolling. My friends expect me to be like, well, his sister's famous. This guy's got it. So I'm in charge of the table. Also, no one seems to be a fucking general. So I'd have to step up every time and make the moves. And here we go. We're going to do this. And it gets to be exhausting. But at the same time, I'm shaking hands with some legendary people. Yeah. But he also got the rock star treatment where he would be used or people would only want to hang out with him because of 
all that. Because they knew he'd foot the bill. Yeah, he had to learn that hard lesson too of like who I to trust. I feel like I was aware of it and I just kept drinking more. I'm like, fuck it. Life's short. Not a lot of people get to experience this. Yeah. What's your vibe when you're drinking? Are you a happy drunk? Are you talkative? He's the best in general, but when he was drinking, it just amplified it. And we were like, let's dance. But mm. my problem was I never stopped. I also loved cocaine because I love mm. drinking. Yeah. By the end of that 10 a.m., you don't want to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And especially in the first lockdown, Ryan every day would go out to the pool, drink beers all day, and then would come in for his whiskey at 4 p.m. And then would be asleep on the couch, passed out with his hand wrapped around the glass so tight that when we would move the glass, he'd still be clutching it. And I was like, man, this might be a problem. And we would have to pick him up and drag him to bed. Mm. That's when we were like, uh-oh, this is bad. So lockdown made it very hard to go party. You had to bring the party home, and that's not as much of a party. Yeah, because of the lockdown. And I was pregnant. Yeah, it kind of opened my eyes of, oh, I have a problem. Before, we're always moving and getting shit done and you can kind of disguise it in that way where it's more functioning. But if you're just stuck at the house and you're just drinking for no reason, this is an issue. Yeah. There was a lot of celebrating. Like we'd be in London shooting The Voice UK and we were like, we survived. We did it. What an amazing thing. Let's party. That was, I think, a great disguise. And then we were home. We were like, why are we still blackout drunk? <laughs> but you, Megan, were hard at work. And you didn't have the time for all of that. I couldn't physically party like that. I would lose my voice and then I couldn't sing or I would get bronchitis and I would be sick and my voice can't handle it. Some artists can't smoke a joint and drink right. all night and sing. I'm opposite. So I had to really be strict and it sucked. But it was great to have someone that I could trust that I knew wouldn't embarrass me and would be a good representation. And I'd be like, Ryan, get out there. So lockdown came. When did you start getting the anxiety attacks, Megan? I'm trying to sort of line these up in a timeline. My panic came before that. Mine was a year after I won a Grammy. I still had red hair. And I was announcing with Gail King Live the Grammy nominees for the next year. And I was at a place where I was looking at my schedule. It was four in the morning because those shows are so early. Mm -hmm. And my assistant read me my schedule. And I was like, but how am I going to survive that? And then I started going, but I can't, I can't do that. And I started crying. And when you lose your breath type of moment, and then you get all hot and sweaty and nothing like this has ever happened to me. And I thought, oh, I'm just overexhausted. And I asked him like, what is this? And my boyfriend at the time, who's my husband now, was like, this is a panic attack. I was like, what? When can this happen again? And they were like, anytime. Anytime. And I was like, anytime. So I'm live on the show shaking. I've never watched it, but I know I was blacking out. And then after I was supposed to do an interview and I sat in a chair and the entire room saw me panicking. And my team finally looked at me and was like, she needs a break. Mm. She needs a break. Yeah. I literally broke down, had a mental breakdown. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. That was a big quit. Your body made you quit yeah. the insanity. And I just want to add briefly for those listening and thinking, oh my God, it's an honor to announce the Grammys at four o'clock in the morning. That means you have to get up 
at 1.30 or 2 for your <laughs> glam team. And then you have to get yeah. to the place and get wired and do blah, blah. anything you see back time at three hours for a woman. But it's also like when I'm in New York, they're like, she'll never be here again. Pile it right. on. Right. That was after a week of working nonstop and a week ahead I had to perform when I knew my vocal cords were raw and bleeding and I knew I had to get surgery. And so it was everything it happened all at once. And it was the year after my best year ever, got a Grammy, all my dreams came true. And I was like, I'm at the bottom, I'm going down. And that's what it felt like. This is a weird question, but I have to ask, when your vocal cords bleed, does the blood come out of your mouth? Yeah, sometimes if you cough, it can come out. Oh. And sometimes you just taste it. It's mm. like a sore throat, but it's more muscular. So it's all in your throat, around your neck. Does this happen to any person or is a singer thing? Yeah, it could happen to people who have podcasts. Watch out. People who talk on the radio. It's just overuse of your voice. And as a singer, when we go out there and promote like our schedule before COVID, you go do interviews all day and you go yeah. sing for two hours. So I'm yeah. nonstop. Yeah. My little muscles, I just couldn't do it. And when you have such a crazy full schedule and people who need stuff and now a family and 4 a.m. call time for Gail King Live. Can you give me a percentage almost day to day? How much shit are you saying no to? Since that was maybe like four years ago now, that first time it happened. Also, I just want to add that I was doing a lot of pot. I was like eating edibles at night to calm mm. me down. And then I overdid that. And I feel like that opened up a wormhole of anxiety. And then everything started too. So watch out for weed. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, I'm such a different human being. And I do say no. And it took me a while. My team is my family. My manager literally married my husband and I. We are oh. very mm. close. I'm very lucky that I can say I love my managers. Not a lot of people have that. So now I'm very open with them. But I still do. Like the other day, I wanted to cancel a songwriting session that I was panicking about. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. And they were like, yeah, but it's just the last one of the year. And I was like, okay. And I had nightmares all night that I was letting everyone down. Everyone left me, abandoned me. And I woke up and was like, I have to listen to my body. I really can't do the session today. Don't worry about it. One of the songwriters is sick anyways. And I was like, <gasps> oh. like, why did I torture myself all night long? Because I wanted to say no. I still have an issue with it, obviously. And my therapist said it's because growing up, anything we commit to, my father was like, you do it. You can't quit. You have to do it. A part of that kind of told us, hey, your opinion doesn't matter. Your wants don't matter. You do it and you suffer. Megan, you're the one daughter in the family. Yes, ma'am. And I know your mom's around and she's a big presence in your life. And I also know that you're the famous one in the family. So it isn't apples to apples. But don't you think women in general feel like they have to say yes more? Yeah. Or more pleasy? Yes. I want to tell them that I say no more, but... I say yes to everything uh -huh. because also it's the opportunities. I got to do it now or else it'll all be right. gone. I've gone this far. Might as well. It's a terrible thing that I'm working with my therapist on. She's like, I want you every 10 minutes to go. What do I want to do now? Really ask yourself, do I want to do this? Yeah, I want to do this and only do things I want to do. So I'm still working on that. I quit lacrosse. Dad didn't seem to care. So No, he yelled at you for wanting to quit trumpet. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Shit like that. 
you literally could not quit anything. But Ryan, it depends on how you absorb it. If you had stayed up for a month sweating, shit, I'm going to quit lacrosse. Dad's going to be so fucking pissed. I'm going to let everybody down. I'm the lacrosse guy. Lacrosse is up my life. But because you didn't process it that way, it was no big deal. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? It's me. I'm like, why did I torture myself for a week? Right. When I it was like, no big deal. Right. And that's the thing about the quit that is so hard is the habit. And I'm lucky enough that my thing therapist is a full doctor and we talk about brain chemistry all the time. What happens to your brain? How do you get out of ruts of habits and quitting things that feel good, food or sex or drugs or all kinds of things that your brain is like, yeah. And you have to make these conscious choices not to do it and to feel bad for a while. Like Megan saying, live with, I'm going to disappoint everyone. I'm going to disappoint everyone. And then they're not disappointed, but you still got that trauma of I let them down. I know I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I did. They're looking at me. They say it's fine, but I know I'm letting people down. And it's painful to walk that walk. For sure. Especially, I don't know, being the famous sister. Mm -hmm. I put way more shit on me than I need to. Like way more responsibility. My therapist says I think that I'm responsible for everyone's happiness, which I do. And in general, I'm a people pleaser. That's something I also have to work on with. It's not the end of the world if I don't make one of my brothers happy or make sure he has the best life. It's okay. That's not my purpose in life, you know? Megan, you've mentioned therapy a couple of times. And in our research, I think, Ryan, you are not in therapy. I actually um, just you... got a therapist. Oh, shit. What? We had a breakthrough. Oh, okay. This is huge. This is huge. You've said you don't like talking about your feelings. I know. And then, you know, we had Dr. Drew come in and talk to us and Dr. Drew was like, you have childhood trauma. You need to see yeah. a trauma therapist. And that's what I've been doing. Well, I wanted to ask Ryan, even before that, you were willing to do a podcast and talk about your shit and therapize yourself in front of people. Why are you willing to do that out loud, but not in a room alone? So you're one-on-one -on -one with this human being who's getting paid by you. And so I don't know. I don't truly trust it. This was all before. And it's way more intense for me to just be staring someone in the eyes and going through my shit than just kind of talking to Megan and blurting it out into the universe. And however someone picks it up, they pick it up. But I think I had a bad experience in high school. I had one therapist and it was not good. And you decided that it tainted it for you? Yeah, I think so. But Megan, you see a therapist and have for a while. Love. I love my therapist. She's the greatest woman on earth. So how did you feel about Ryan not going to therapy? I've been telling them for years. She pester me all the time. The way that Megan tries to get you to do something is, my life's great. This is great. So you should do this. And it was just more annoyance to me. I needed Dr. Drew to step in and be like, Here I was doing it so hard that he's like, I will never do therapy because of you. You know, like that's how annoying I was about it. So I would just kind of yeah. brush it off. And then when I explained what happened to me when I was 12 to Dr. Drew, he goes, dude, you are not going to figure out anything unless you go talk to someone. Could brains heal brains? And once I heard that statement, I was like, oh. I've never heard that. Isn't that incredible? You need a brain to heal your brain. I've heard you can't fix your broken brain with the broken brain, but I never heard brains fix brains. Yeah. Are you comfortable talking about what happened when you were 12? Yeah, 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 it's fine. I talked <laughs> it's about already it on, on our, our podcast. podcast. Okay. So when I was 12 years old, I can't remember if it was the first or second time I drank, but it was with two older kids. They were in eighth grade. I'm in sixth grade. I'm trying to be cool. Oh. 
it got kind of weird when I stumble in the bathroom and I sit down to pee because I'm drunk and I don't want to miss. I'm 12. So I like peed on my balls sitting down. So I go out and make a joke and they're like, how did you pee on your balls? Is your dick small? And they're trying to take my pants off. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Finally, they stop. We pass out. I wake up the next morning. They had drawn measurements all over my area Right. And I didn't see that until I got in the shower. I'm getting in the shower and I just look down and I just start fucking bawling. And then I remember just putting on a mask. Mm. Whatever I was before just left. And I just walk out there. I smile. I go, all right, guys, that was mad fun. I'll see you at school Monday. And then my mom picked me up, didn't mention anything. And I held on to that until I was around 18. Never told anybody about it. And so Dr. Drew was like, that physical trauma, you were just drinking away that moment. And that, in turn, your, amped up the brain. addict brain. I probably had an addict brain before, and that just amped it the fuck up. Yeah. He said your brain changed forever that day. What did that do to your sense of masculinity? You know, it's the point where you're going through puberty. You're like, why am I not going through puberty quick enough? Mm. I still talk to girls, but I think I was very afraid for the moment where, all right, let's see what you got. Who did you talk to when you were 18? I think I cried to my girlfriend at the time, drunk one night. And I was like, hey, I got to tell you something that's been bugging me. Around that age, I would get emotional drunk towards the end Mm -hmm. of the night. It was like eating me alive. Yeah. You know, I always say, why am I in so much therapy? My parents are lovely. My life was privileged. But death by a thousand paper cuts is still death. I was trying to say to Dr. Drew, I was like, it's not that big a deal. No, it's still trauma. You still have to heal that. Yeah, and I wonder how you were able to make and trust friends after that. I would act like your friend, but in my heart, I don't fuck with you. And that kind of worked here in LA because everyone wanted to get close to Megan when she was at the top of the top. And I'm like, oh yeah, for sure, bro. Yeah, we'll link up. I could put on that bullshit show pretty easily because of what happened. I don't trust anybody except for my family. But now I'm starting to learn that you can trust other people through therapy. It's helping me deal with that because you can't live life like that. Megan, you are a mom now and you're the mother of a boy. Does hearing this do something different to you now? Yeah, I'm not super pumped on sleepovers and everyone judges me on this and everyone says out loud, like, you can't do that. I don't know if I want my kid to go to school. I kind of want to homeschool them, especially the COVID life now and then the guns in school. No, not safe. I'm just too paranoid. It's a lot. And I have to slowly learn to let that go one day. But luckily, he's only 11 months old. So we'll deal with it later. Right. But yeah, for sure, this story rocked me. I was like, I don't trust sleepovers. Yeah, I have a hard time hearing stories of trauma to boys. When I hear about it with boys and that kind of camaraderie thing that's supposed to come out of it, and even the way, Ryan, you covered for it, you did the quote-unquote right thing. You put the mask on and you were like, bro, that was mad fun. And when I hear that, I'm panicking right now because that is not the way I'm wired. So when I hear about boys doing that, that it's so acceptable. It's not acceptable for them to go and cry. It's not acceptable for them to go get help. And it freaks me the fuck out to hear about it. What do you think, Chad? Does it freak you out as a guy or do you relate to it? I relate to it. Was an athlete growing up. I pledged a fraternity in college. The culture is something really weird happens or really uncomfortable, really terrible, really painful. And your job is to push it down really far and just keep looking cool. Keep making girls like you, whatever. Bump chests and keep it moving. And it's moving actually to hear you, Ryan, to talk about it because you wear the affect of somebody who would be about all that shit. You look like the dude from Euphoria. You know what I mean? Like, who's (laughs) going to lean on you and be an asshole? Yeah. 
<laughs> so I think you can, it does a lot of good just to hear you say how that was for you. It also does me good to hear you talk about Los Angeles and how people interact because that fucks with me pretty deeply every time I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of superficial level. Yeah. But you end up finding your people. And luckily, my buddies from college moved out here and they're fucking normal. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. I think I just expected it. I loved Entourage. So I'm like, all right, yeah. cool. Our yeah. life is Entourage now. I know what Turtle. to look out for. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. But Megan, if you were having panic attacks because you couldn't say no, you couldn't disappoint people, and you're starting to say no, that's your body, that's your brain, that's everything in you returning sort of to a baseline normal. And Ryan, you're saying no to drinking and as well as does it change the nature of your relationship with each other? Do you not ask as much of each other as you did before, whether consciously or unconsciously? You're too smart for me. <laughs> I would just say I knew Fuck. once I sobered up, everything would get better in terms of my relationship with my family, mm. my work ethic, yeah. time management. Which it did. Yeah, we were cool before. Now we're just extra cool. She doesn't have to worry yeah. about me dying. Doesn't have to worry about me doing something stupid. Yeah. We had a really big blow up that we never really talked about of... He was my camera guy for so long. And at the end of his last rock bottom moment was him pretty much quitting working for me saying, I just want to be your brother. I don't want to be your fucking camera guy. I don't want you to be my boss. I don't want you to give me money. And I was like, okay, then just say that. Sobbing. But then we got heated and I got mad. And I was saying stuff like, you're an alcoholic because he was literally blackout drunk while we were having this conversation. I feel like if I don't hire you, you're just going to end up a crackhead on the street. I'm like, oh, fuck. I didn't say crackhead, but he took it as that. You said crackhead. I said you wouldn't last 30 days out there or something. I was yeah. like, you wouldn't Which last I'm a like, month. Fuck you, I could find a job anywhere. Dude, I'm a delight. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so that was a big quitting thing and I had to quit and like let him go and it yeah. was really hard for both of us. And that night, he had his rock bottom. He twitched all night long. He drank tequila. He did all the drugs in his room and he, f- he fell down. Yeah. He yeah, so it. I was already drunk when she told me that and then I'm like, Fuck it. If I'm a piece of shit, I'm a piece of shit. Let's keep it going. Drank a 30 pack of Bud Light with, you know, cocaine for more than a day and then finished with tequila. And the last thing I remember was sipping tequila at my desk. And then I woke up on my bathroom floor rattled and I'd look at the floor. There's blood. Oh, fuck. For some reason, even being real fucked up, I was like, COVID, stay away. Don't go outside. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So so it's even darker. I'm just in my room destroying myself. I look in the mirror. I'm like, I'd hit this part of my head, which is way too close to the temple. Okay. I shouldn't be awake right now. I could have just died on my bathroom floor. They would have found me like three days later. This is bad. I told mom we just had a fight, check Twitch, and we were all checking in on him and he seemed fine. Yeah. He was just like, what's up, guys? I'm going to play another game. And we're like, what the fuck? For hours. And we all just kept looking in. Then he went quiet. Then at 4 p.m. the next day, I was like, Daryl, what if he's dead in there? We have no idea. And he's like, he's fine. And then he comes out with a big black eye and dried blood. And he looked white. And he was like, I'm done. I was like, where the fuck did you go? What kind of bar fight did you get into? How did you leave and come back? He told us what happened. And I was like... Okay. And then my mom and dad run over and we're all hugging him. This is good for you. You know, this is your moment. And he was sober ever since. When was that? Right before we moved out, right? June 1st. Of 2020. Mm. Yeah. So post quit, what did it feel like right after? I mean, everybody's had a hangover and said, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. And then a couple of days pass, you feel better. You're like, ah, maybe I will. Like fear of death is real. 
the first three months were a nightmare in terms of trying to be a human because I had that medicine. That's yeah. what got me through. I didn't know how to be a person at first. And my brain was all fucked up from everything. Anxiety was super high, but I have transcendental meditation. I like to work out. My friend called me, our friend Jojo. She was like, all right, Ryan, you're sober now. You're running the New York City Marathon. Start running. I'm like, okay. That helped a lot. So I was just yeah. running nonstop. Wait, the marathon's in the fall. Did you already run it? I ran it. Yeah. You were sober two and a half months when that happened. Yeah. He made it look really easy. But it wasn't. It was tough. Running helped. Just getting out of my own head. I never liked feeling feelings. I hated overthinking. And I just used different tools to manage that now. That makes a lot of sense why it took a while to get into therapy. That I call myself Dr. Google when I start just talking medical smack and I don't know shit about what I'm saying. But I do know that the brain coming out of addiction, it's all crumpled up. <laughs> it's not good. And you needed the endorphins. You needed all that stuff to start going again. The signups start firing before you were ready to sit and process. Exactly. And Dr. Drew had mentioned, I mean, if you had gone to therapy before your, you know, six month mark of sobriety would have been a waste of time. You need a truly sober brain and be ready for this experience before you could just jump into therapy. It all worked out in the end. How's it been for your friendship as brother and sister since you quit? We're closer than ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Everything is just better, you know? Yeah. It's so much better because now there's no talking shit. You know, when you have a best friend and you don't want to talk shit about them, and I never would, except for if he would be blackout drunk on the couch, I'd be like, Daryl, you're so fucking annoying. Or me and Daryl would be like, because I have a newborn. He can't hold a baby if he's super drunk. And we would have rules. And we're like, this is so annoying that we have to do this. Now, if we talk about Ryan, we're like, he's doing amazing. Good for him. We're just gassing him up. We're like, he's the best. Congratulations, Ryan. First of all, seriously, it's a long road. I hope it continues to get better and better. It sounds like you got a ton of support. Megan, it's more subtle. One of my quits was an eating disorder. You can't quit food. you got to come up with a different relationship. Yeah, I've done that. I've quit ordering out so much food and I've lost like 60 pounds the healthy way, like the slow one pound a week way. You look so good, by the way, and you're making yourself happy in a healthy way. I just want to be healthy as hell and avoid COVID, which I have right <laughs> now. So I lost. You have COVID? I have straight up Omicron right now. I and I feel like shit. I don't know. <laughs> My fucking brother gave me Omicron. We don't know for sure. I mean, in. nobody else has. It's just you. I don't see people, brother. <laughs> I had it a couple I don't weeks go ago. Out in the world. Again, I'm sorry. I just, we don't know for sure. There's probably an 80% chance it was me. <laughs> I feel like shit. What about the baby? He's fine. That's why I don't know where he is because I'm literally, right. Daryl's a single parent for the next 10 days. It <laughs> sucks. How many shots have you had? I had all the boosters. I had all Moderna. I had my Vaxi, I had my Boosty. My Vaxi and my Boosty. I was like, as soon as this is done, I want another one. Put it in me. But this sucks. Yeah, it'd be a lot worse if you didn't have any of that, though. That would be I know, I know. so much I know. worse. And I'm a bad sufferer. I'm like, main throw. I was just noticing how much you feel like a woman with two brothers. I have a sister also. <laughs> I don't, it's just everything you do. It's how you talk. It's all your, it's everything. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> but, so do you feel, though, that maybe during Omicron, maybe during this 4,000th phase of COVID, it's kind of easy to say no to stuff because it's limited? You don't have to go places. If there's something you got to do, it's a Zoom. So it's easy to support the quitting of the yes to everything. Yes to everything. It's been helpful. Right. It's been nice. <laughs> so what happens when you leave the bubbles? 
What happens when this lifts? Because I saw you guys at a Harry Styles concert for that one brief moment in time when people were leaving the house. That was the only day I've left my house, I think, in a long time. That was a big moment. I love Harry Styles. You had to go. But now it's going to be, eventually, this is all going to pass. Life's going to get back to, Megan, can you show up to the opening of an envelope? Megan, can you open the, oh, there's a jam jar that's opening. Can you please be there? They're opening a Target in North Covina. We were hoping you could be there. I'm terrified because I've also never been on a plane since COVID. I haven't had to go to New York. I just record a performance here, send it through. It's been lovely. Tell you what it's been lovely with a newborn. I wanted a baby for so long and we were like just so busy. How would we do this? And when COVID started, when we were forced to be locked in our house, I was like, get me pregnant. Right now. Like, this is our now. Right now. (laughs) And luckily, we got pregnant super fast, had our baby, and this is so great. I could be like, I have a baby. Stay away. I can't go. But it's also spooky because, oh no, if the world goes back, what do I do? Or like, how do I protect him? You're a metaverse, dude. You're a metaverse artist now, dude. You don't have to go anywhere. You're a metaverse (laughs) pop star, bro. Easy. She could just change her clothes, put on a different pair of earrings, and she's in a different world. Yeah. And then you just perform in a room. Just record it once, play it over and over again. Megan, (laughs) but how many people in your phone can text you and get a text back within eight hours? as soon as possible. I'm always on my phone. What do you mean? Four managers, that's it. <laughs> I don't have friends. But like, Dude, you don't even text me back right away most of the time. But I have to call you and be like, what are you doing? Well, what I do you mean, mean, for people to be asking you to do so much shit, how many people in your life will actually get a quick response to a request for some shit? If it's for my job, it goes to my managers. Mm-hmm. And I just say mm-hmm. yes. They also filter out some shit for me. No, she would never. Or here's a great opportunity. Or here's something nice we could do. It's like my bros and my friends. People would hit me up really right. in, the, in the beginning. And then would you say no? No, yeah, for sure. I got you. And then never hit him <laughs> back again. I would just cut him off. Oh, wait. I did like what you're quitting, Chad. I read that you're quitting negative self-talk. Is that true? Because that's something I have yeah, to do. Yeah, I'm trying. I don't know that's how you hard. do it yet. I'm still sorting it out. I think one way is to just tell people the truth about how I feel instead of turning it inward. Do you have any ideas? get a husband like Daryl that just snaps at you when you do? Daryl got us all into like zen shit. Is Daryl super zen? Yeah. Daryl's like LA, follow Santos, meditate. Wim Hof, breathe. Transcendental meditation, eat the green grass, (laughs) like all the stuff. (laughs) What is Wim Hof? Wim Hof is an amazing man who figured out how to heal your body with just breathing and he does in fully out. And yeah, a lot of people do it. Getting all that oxygen to your body. Because I don't think we breathe enough. So you're just straight up lay down for 20 minutes and just... Oh, Google him. You'll love him. I'm interested. You feel really good after. I started doing it a couple times a week and it's a game changer. Is this supposed to be for trauma as well? It's not really supposed to be specifically for that. It's just like good for blood flow, nerves, more physical stuff. But mentally, it helps me kind of clear my mind for the day and be cool. This is a good day. I'm going to try that out. Why not? When you talked about having that face that you put on when you see, bro, I get the rules. I get that I'm supposed to just suck up something that was painful or that somebody wants something from me. And it's in your book, the white kid who kept using the N-word and saying, why can't I? And you were, I'm walking away from this. It is in my book. He used it once. And that is enough for me. I was probably 26 at that point in time. Was there a time before that when you didn't? Yeah, I mean, 
moment to moment. There have been moments where something like that will happen and there's a range. Sometimes you suck it up. Sometimes it's a fight. Sometimes it's you tell a teacher if that's available or something like that. But right. I can completely relate to what Ryan did in that moment, which is I'm trying to minimize my humiliation And I also don't want people to know what they can use as a weapon against me. I don't want people to know where my buttons are. Megan, can I ask you a question? I was thinking about this last night. I was watching Gunna's interview on The Breakfast Club. Who pays for the private jet? Do you pay for it? Does the label pay for it? Does the venue pay for it? Yeah, it depends. If it's like a private gig and they're like, hey, we want you to come out here. Yeah, if you fly, it's private and then they pay. It's so much money. It's so much unnecessary money. It's crazy. The gas money is a hundred grand if you want to go like an hour flight, hundred grand. You know, it's, <laughs> it's so sick. But yeah, that's a rare moment. You just do whatever you want on there. At that point, when you were partying, Ryan, you would just have your way on that private jet. Oh, dude, on the flight back from Germany, I had like 20 beers. You, you finished all the booze on a flight. Yeah, sweet girl's like, we have no Are more. you single, Ryan? I've been single forever. Okay. Yeah. So were you bringing friends on the plane? No, no, no. No one is worthy enough to fly on these I jets. Think. No, no. This is family <laughs> only. There's no plus one. She's had to be really <laughs> special to get the PJ experience. <laughs> There's no real options there. I mean, maybe we'll see later on. But in my early 20s, there was no chance. If there was a lady friend, I'd make sure she cool. And then I'd like invite her to everything. I have to mm. approve. But you guys have another brother. There is a third. Is he just not as chatty? He's very shy, not on social media. But when you get to know him, everyone's like, Justin's our favorite. I'm like, okay. I'm trying to figure out the dynamic and the two of you are just like... Yeah. He has a lot of self-love stuff that he's working on too, you know? At one point, he was morbidly obese and then he lost all of his weight and got more confident and now he's on dating apps. But he's the only kid that went to college and graduated. He does engineering and he's my engineer and my producer now and we've gotten close because of that. But yeah, he doesn't want to take pics and post them. You know, he doesn't want to have social media. He's like, you can't find me. I think he likes that we're extra... So he could hide in the shadows. He's the shadow. Yeah. We always joke like he's in his cave over there. Like he won't come out. He goes at his own speed, man. So body image is a thing. Yes. But Ryan got this extra two feet of height or something. He did. He was chubby and dorky and goofy looking as a cute kid. But then he just got so tall, did sit-ups every night, and got to be the skinny, attractive older bro that all my friends wanted to love. I think if that certain thing didn't happen to me as a young kid, I would have never developed the personality. I've just been like a tall kid. Yeah, that's why I never date really good-looking guys. Never. Somebody's beautiful from the moment they're born. You better be nice because really good-looking kids, if you're always good-looking, you get treated different. Isn't it crazy how you could tell? I could tell like my manager, he's so attractive, so handsome because his personality is so amazing. I'm like, were you a fat kid that got yeah, bullied? And he was like, I was. I was crazy obese and had to lose a lot of weight. And I was like, I knew it. So Megan, I just want to ask you one last thing about the body image thing. After you had a baby, because when I ran into you, you were like, I've lost so much weight. And it's amazing. You know, we all see every ounce on us. And yet somebody yeah. else sees you, like, oh, you look good to me. Yeah. I've never thought you look heavy or not heavy. I just know your music has been the constant refrain for so many teenage girls who were like, fuck my body. Did becoming a mom change your relationship to your body? I got more picky, actually. I don't know. I had a C-section and I come from a family of stretch marks. It's in our blood. You know what I'm saying? That's like that genes, that genetic thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I smothered in stretch marks. Oh. And then across them was my C-section scar. Oh. Not only was I my largest I've ever been in life, but I was just covered. Uh, oh, man. I was working on loving myself before. Right. Now we're here. <laughs> and, and like so many people are like, I love my stretch marks and post pics and put glitter. And I just can't get no. there. I love my son. I don't I go, oh, it's because of you. I love right. it. No, it's I'm so lucky I got to be pregnant and have a body that can do this. It's just now I got to go back to loving me and go back to working on my fitness and my health. And so I asked for help. I went out there and was like, I want to meet a nutritionist that could teach me about food. I look back at like, oh my God, I was like poisoning my body. Too many times where I'm like, let's celebrate. Let's eat a whole pile of pizza to myself. Yeah. I'm trying to educate myself more on learning to be healthy so I can feel better. And does it work? Yeah. It was a long, hard road. I'll tell you what, nothing has been harder than this. Being pregnant, I had gestational diabetes. I had to do a C-section. That was a breeze compared to this, this journey I'm on of self-love and looking in the mirror of my body. My therapist said, look in five minutes at your naked body. Just look at yourself. Oh. Hardest thing I've ever done. Hardest thing I've ever done. First time I was like trembling, crying, like <laughs> I could just see everything. And I was like, oh man, second time, not as bad, you know? And now I'm looking good. I'm looking at myself like, and talking oh my to goodness. yourself in the mirror is pretty yeah, weird, but it yeah. works. Like I was doing that shit to get through those tough first few months. You look in the mirror, you say, I'm happy, healthy, wealthy, whatever you want to say, just to build yourself up. It's pretty ridiculous. But you feel better. But Something dude, happens. When your brain hears that, it hears it 10,000 more times. And if you go out there like, oh, I'm ugly, I'm gross, then you hear that 14,000 times. Chad, have you ever stood naked in front of a mirror for long? How many seconds did you say, Megan? Five minutes. Five minutes? Minutes, bitch. I was crying. No, it's no, so no, wrong. no. Never more than like four and a half minutes. 30 seconds. <laughs> oh, I had a timer and was like, mm, like... I've only done it a few times, but I have to keep doing that to remind myself. And what are you supposed to be thinking during that time? I don't know. She was just like, just look and hear what your brain says. And my first time, my brain was like, ah! and the yeah. second time I was like, okay, well, it's a starting point. Like, we're here. We're not that bad. And then you're like, oh, look at this part of me. I'm starting to look at my legs and I'm like, I have muscle. And what felt really good is I worked out with my brother and my husband the other day with my trainer. And I was so strong. I was like, this shit is easy. And Ryan's checking his pulse. <laughs> oh, I'm strong. I'm fit. I'm in shape. I've never been that bitch like in gym class, you she know? keeps trying to like, drag me to more sessions just to watch me struggle. I'm just not yeah, having dude, it. It makes me feel so good about myself. <laughs> I'm just hearing it like, with the scientific mind that I don't have. But Dr. Google goes, it's like the positive feedback loop. Yeah. It's the I stop looking in the mirror going, you're disgusting. And then if I keep saying it, that I'm not disgusting. In fact, I might actually be okay. Then the brain keeps going, yes, yes. You and know sort of what was the craziest thing I've ever done? You know Dr. Amen? Mm -mm. Oh, you love Dr. Amen. He did a brain scan. No. And showed how it is. And he had me do this practice. <laughs> Write down all your negative thoughts and then ask each negative thought five questions. So one thought, I think I'm ugly. You ask that negative thought, is it true? Oh, I don't think all of me is ugly. So you're like, okay, it's not true. Second question, is it 100% true? I'm like, no, because the first one wasn't true. And the third one is, what's it like living with that thought? I'm like, it sucks. I feel terrible about myself. And he's like, what if you didn't have that thought? Question number four, I'd feel confident and happy. And then question number five is, can you flip it? Can you say, I don't think I'm ugly. And it makes your negative thoughts seem silly at that point. And I went through every negative thought I had and it was amazing. 
And he was like, do that more and say it out loud. It's such a difference than just writing it out. Wow. There's sometimes, though, that negative thoughts, they're working for us on a level. That's why we have them. That's why we develop coping mechanisms for anxiety. They do serve us. Yeah. These things do something good for a while. There's a reason why they develop. They didn't come out of the blue. So flipping them and saying, you're no longer serving me, that's hard. Yeah. It's just like questioning them. Well, I want to say thank you to you guys. You've been so open and so amazing about not just quitting, but the fucking process and how it's ongoing. Because I think that's the biggest thing. I learned thing. a lot. This was great. I like how you all treat each other. I like how you all talk to each other. And it makes me want to call my sister. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, y'all. Thank you thank so you much for having us. This was the best family therapy ever. Great meeting you, Chad. Bye. Bye. Bye nice guys. meeting you.